so instead of eating and drinking my feelings, I've been hiking my feelings. Cause when I go feel fussy about what's going on with diabetes, I go for a hike. When I feel anxious about what we're doing at work at the time, like we would go have walking meetings and there wasn't. This is a life in motion audio experience, a podcast about travel, action, sports, culture, and more. What's up and welcome to episode 70 of life in motion. I've got Sydney Williams with me, who is the founder of Hiking My Feelings, a nonprofit that has a mission of improving community well-being through the healing power of nature. Since their beginning, they've hosted over 300 events with participants from all over, including international ones. I'm excited to hear what all the buzz is about and how they're able to make such an impact. Uh, Sydney, thank you for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yes, yes, I'm excited. So before we kind of dive into uh, Hiking My Feelings and all that, uh, let's, uh, let's go ahead and talk about yourself for a little bit, you know, where you grew up, hobbies you had growing up, you know, basically what is the, uh, the journey and the story of how you got to where you are today? Oh Lord, Jeremy, we are talking <laughs> for the first time today. You are going to have to like throw up a sensor or rope hook me off this stage. Cause I can tell this story upside down and backwards. Um, yeah, Sydney before hiking my feelings. Well, I grew up in Kansas, um, where there is not a lot of outdoor recreation, at least not the kind that I enjoy these days. So my idea of being outdoorsy back then was like typical kid stuff, riding bikes around the neighborhood, trying not to get into too much trouble. Um, I was a cheerleader. I did gymnastics. And then um, as I got older, I was a competitive all-star cheerleader. So if you've seen cheer on Netflix, it's very much like that. That is a pretty accurate depiction of what competitive cheer is like. And then I went to the University of Kansas. I walked on to the women's rowing team. I did that for a year and that was super fun. Um, and then when I got done with college, I started skydiving and that people usually was, pick that up around college. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Age wise and just like risk assessment wise seems to be about the time that most people go. Um, but so I did that for four years competitively. Um, and that's also where I met my husband. So he taught me how to jump out of airplanes and we've been attached at the hip ever since. And now we are running this awesome nonprofit called hiking my feelings. Um, I did a good 10 or 15 year sentence, or I shouldn't say sentence <laughs> commitment, um, in the corporate world. I was, uh, straight out of college. I did, um, I was the voice of the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile on Twitter. So okay. if you communicated with at Wienermobile, um, at any point between 2009 or 2010, I was probably the one writing the tweets and talking to you and absurd hot dog puns. That's um, awesome. <laughs> Yeah, not a bad first gig. Um, so I did a lot of corporate comms, mostly on the agency side, but also um, for a couple startups and small businesses and then in the skydiving industry itself. So um, before I decided I wanted to live in a van and sell everything I own and run a nonprofit and make next to nothing, uh, that was my life before then. Um, and what led to like the impetus that led to like the big shift in my life I would say the first one was meeting my husband just because he was a grounding force that I did not know I needed at that time in my life. Um, but he also opened the door to my healing journey and made sure that I didn't have to walk this walk alone. So um, the big thing that was the catalyst for all the discoveries I've made since then and um, led to us starting this organization and specifically the work we're doing this year um, with one of our campaigns was I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes um, actually, oh my gosh, tomorrow is oh, wow. my four year anniversary. 
So yeah, four years ago, I was diagnosed with type two diabetes and I was 32 at the time I was, uh, working in corporate at the time I was still in the agency world. I was leading email marketing for NBC universal, and I got diagnosed the week before fall premieres. So it was a pretty stressful time in my life. Um, I was traveling a lot. I was, I had the most responsibility I had ever had in my career up until that point. And, um, I knew like the stigma around diabetes, but I didn't really know why I got it. Um, and why I got it so young. Cause when I think like type one, you think, okay, kids get that and they live with it for the rest of their life. Some adults get diagnosed, but type two, like that's for older folks. And, and I mean, like I was definitely overweight and I was definitely living a sedentary lifestyle, but I didn't fancy myself somebody that would go about getting diabetes according to the stigma that I knew. Cause that's all I had as far as information goes. So um, I decided I was going to be the best diabetes patient my doctor's ever seen and channeled all of my people pleasing tendencies <laughs> into just making some radical lifestyle changes and not letting this disease get the best of me, but rather use it as a catalyst for change to make the world a better place. That's awesome. There are so many things I want to kind of step back on with that. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> um, so first of all, growing up in Kansas, obviously, uh, very flat, at least what I have experienced of it. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure that was, uh, interesting. I'm actually, uh, we're based in Springfield, Missouri. So, you know, sort of close, pretty close. close. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I, you know, I'm just going to get into some personal stuff real quick. So just give me a, give me a second here. So you said you went to school at KU. Yeah. I went there for one year and then I took a gap year and then I finished at the university of South Florida. Okay. In Tampa. Okay. So were, were you a big, uh, basketball fan when you were there. Yeah. And I'm guessing since you're from Missouri, are we going to have some beef here in front of no, everybody? Well, we are might we have, border warring or no, we, 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 we might have more beef maybe. Um, I don't know if the, t the timing lines up or not, but, um, so I, I went to Vir Virginia Commonwealth university in Richmond and during the final four when there, or maybe it was before the final four, the big upset, uh, that VCU had on KU, I believe, um, <laughs> in, in the basketball tournament. So I, you know, there might be some, you know, Oh my God, it's so weird. I have to be somewhere. I got to go. Like, <laughs> my God. I saw I scheduled this for a different day. That's so shocking. <laughs> I uh, think so that was after my time there, but you know, like I was born and bred a Jayhawk. I was uh, on the women's rowing team as a division one student athlete. So I, I hold, tr I bleed crimson and blue, even though it's not technically my alma mater. <laughs> Uh, so that was a fun little tidbit. Also the, so the cheerleading part too. So have you ever heard of camp Woodward? I haven't. You haven't. And you're in, okay. That's surprising actually. So uh, long story short with that, it's a big action sports slash cheerleading slash gymnastics camp that started in the seventies as cheerleading gymnastics. And it's right outside of state college in Pennsylvania, um, and a huge program, but I, I was just trying to pull some ties together, um, uh, sort of being relatively in the same geographic area, I guess, you know, initially at least. And then that's actually where I met my wife. So that's why I'm in Springfield in the first place, but I didn't know if, if you maybe ever went there as a camper or worked there or not. So I, I had to ask that question anytime something oh, that, that world comes okay. up. Okay. Yeah. The name. Wow. That's a throwback. Um, I never went, I wasn't a camper there, nor did I instruct there, but I know cheerleaders that did and were so that tie is like, we're six degrees of Kevin Bacon at this point, but yeah. <laughs> I know. Right. So you never know where these <laughs> things might end. Uh, and then, so the other thing, okay. So those are just some personal things, but now I want to get back to the, the skydiving. Did you say that you did uh, competitive skydiving? Did I hear that? Yeah, you did. Um, and so the what way is that, that like? 
Yeah. So the way it works, um, most people who go skydiving, you're attached to an instructor that's called tandem skydiving. Um, you don't really have to do a lot except listen to your instructor and make sure you don't do anything stupid. If you decide you like it and you want to go learn how to jump with your own parachute, then you can go do that. And that's uh, through a program in the United States. It's called, uh, so the United States Parachute Association, USPA, is who is the governing body of skydiving in America. And they have a program called Accelerated Freefall. That's how you go about getting your license. And then competitive skydiving was something that I got interested in after I earned my license. Um, there's a worldwide competition um, called the World Meet and every other year. So it's the World Meet or the World Cup. And depending on which year it is, you have to qualify to get there. And there's so many different ways you can skydive. Like they're, they call relative work or belly flying. That's where you fly with your belly toward an oncoming planet. There's sit flying where it looks like you're sitting in a chair. There's head down flying where you look like a lawn dart plummeting towards the sky. There's a handful of different things where you can do like sky dancing and like some artistic type of flying. Um, and there used to be sky surfing. It's kind of making a comeback, but that was more of like a late nineties, early two thousands thing. And then there's wingsuiting. So I did the first one, which is belly to earth relative work. And I fly, I flew on a team of four with a cameraman. So five total. And the whole idea is you exit the aircraft. Um, competition height is 10,500 feet above ground level, which gives you about 45-ish seconds to do um, what you need to do. And so the way that it works is you come with your team of five. You Everybody who's competing in your class gets the same dive pool, which is like a series of pictures. So like I might be holding your hand and then we transition moves and then you grab my leg and like, we're making these pictures in the sky. Everybody gets the same amount of pictures and you get from the time that you get out of the plane until the time you open your parachute to perform those maneuvers and whoever gets the most points, which each picture is a point, whoever gets the most points at the end of 10 rounds is the winning team. So I used to do that competitively for a couple of years. I started doing two way, um, which isn't something you can do at the national or world competition, but a great trainer for um, being on a larger team. And then I flew with my team Elsinore Horizon um, at the USP USPA nationals in 2014. And then I was supposed to go into, or, or sorry, 2013. And then I was supposed to go in 2014, but I had a friend pass away um, on a base jump and I had to make the hard choice of going to nationals or going to his memorial. And I chose oh. his memorial instead of competing. So not a decision I have ever regretted one second of my life. Um, but that is when all my friends started dying and not like all my friends, but over the span of the four years that I was competing, 23 of my friends passed away, wow. um, mostly related to skydiving or base jumping. But then there were like, uh, there were like three veterans who, um, committed suicide in that time frame, And, um, a I think like a motorcycle accident and then something just like completely unrelated, like a health thing. One of the older, uh, fellows I was jumping with, um, but that was, that was when I was like, okay. And I, I stopped counting at 15. And when I went on tour in 2018 and 2019 and like told my story and that eventually turned into my book, um, I would say more than 15 of my friends died and I was rehearsing it before we like hit the road. And I was like saying more than 15 doesn't really do the other eight <laughs> friends yeah. any service. So I like made the list, I counted it out. And so 23 um, of my friends passed away while I was in the sport. And that was when I was kind of like, you know what, this is fun, but it's expensive and it's risky. And some of my friends are the best of the best. And 
they're, you know, they're pushing the envelope of the sport and seeing what the human body's capable of in, in both body flight and canopy flight. Um, so it's not a situation that I would hopefully ever find myself in because I'm a pretty risk averse skydiver tried to keep it as safe as I could, which sounds stupid saying a lot. I'm, I like, I really manage risk well when I jump out of planes, um, but I did. And I was kind of a scaredy cat skydiver and I was always safe. And that's why I liked flying with my team was because it was something that I felt I could control. Um, where some of these other folks that I was friends with were just, you know, they were pioneers of the sport and they were out there doing stuff that most humans would call stupid that I admired to an extent. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'm good. So bye. <laughs> Wow. That's, that's, uh, all of that is interesting. And obviously, sorry as well for the, the kind of the losses along that journey. That's, um, cause I couldn't really fathom having to, uh, go through that either. So it sounds like you're also that's a, a lot, <laughs> a strong, uh, a strong person in that sense as well. Yeah. So, so you had your, um, you're fun jumping out of planes for a while as most of us, you know, tend to do. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then did the, you know, the corporate world type deal found out about, uh, type two diabetes and then decided that, you know, you needed to make some kind of change to not let that, you know, affect your life. So what, what were those changes that, that you made? And I guess were the changes that you made, like just like doubling down on things that you already sort of did, or did you like just completely, change, I guess, your, your lifestyle in that sense? It was a little bit of both. So prior to my diagnosis, um, we had gone backpacking at the end of 2016 and I had never been backpacking before. I had done a couple day hikes here and there. Um, but it was the hardest thing I've ever done physically. Like I didn't complete the hike. I had blisters a quarter mile into this journey and it was like a six day adventure across an Island. It was just a mess. And what I learned on the first trip was I love my body and I can do hard things. And I, I kind of, I have a hard time like just defining the start of this journey that I've been on. It's either that, that backpacking trip where I was like, even though I don't recognize the body I've been in, cause like no shocker here, when 23 of your friends die in four years, you drink a lot and you eat everything in sight. At least that's how I coped. I did not have any healthy coping mechanisms whatsoever. Um, so I, on that first backpacking trip in 2016, I was like probably 60 or 70 pounds heavier than I am today. Um, had no idea what I was doing, delusionally confident that I could like complete this trip with 30 pounds across, uh, strapped on my back, hiking across an Island. And when I got home, I was like, that was awful, but I loved it. And I don't want my body to be the thing that got in the way. So to answer your question about like, am I doubling down on things I was already doing or a complete reinvention? It's a little bit of both. Like at the time I was paddleboarding, um, we had gotten paddleboards earlier that summer when uh, the summer that I was diagnosed. And that's actually what led to the diagnosis. We had gone out um, Labor Day weekend. San Diego, if you're unfamiliar, is generally like 72 and sunny. We live a super tough life in Southern California. <laughs> um, so we, uh, we went out on Labor Day weekend and it was like 9,000 degrees and like Orlando hot, just like the air is so thick. It's hard to breathe. The humidity is at like a bajillion percent. Clearly I'm a meteorologist. These are very scientific. <laughs> um, so we went out and I just felt gross for like two or three weeks after. And then I finally went to the doctor. That's how I got diagnosed with diabetes. Cause like, I thought I was like dehydrated and having a hard time, like getting over maybe heat stroke or something or heat exhaustion. Um, turns out I had diabetes. So the first thing I did was like, 
I got to stop eating like a 12 year old boy. And I attribute my success in managing this disease and success is relative, obviously, but um, I attribute my success to my doctor making this disease super easy to understand because there are nine bajillion factors that can influence blood sugar levels in the body. And she narrowed it down to four categories being food, exercise, medicine, and stress. So food stopped eating like a 12 year old boy out with frozen pizza and with more vegetables and stuff like that. Um, movement exercise. I started walking every day. Um, I was paddleboarding, but that's not really a super cardio workout, at least not the way I was doing it. Um, so I started walking every morning and that became like my time. Cause usually, and I imagine a handful of listeners can probably relate. I would wake up, start scrolling. And then my day starts with reactions. Like I had no routine to like get myself grounded, get myself centered to start my day on my terms. I was like reacting the second I woke up because I would see something on social media or I'd read something in the news. And like, I never had any moments to myself before my attention started going elsewhere. So my morning walks, I started to become really protective of that time. Cause again, I'm working for NBC. I'm well, I'm working at the agency. I'm leading uh, email marketing for NBC and a bunch of other clients. I'm working on a national commercial campaign. The agency itself is rebanding and I'm leading that. Like it was just a lot. And so that mo- the morning walk was like my sacred space. And I called it the hill of death. I think if I drove back and walked it now, I'd probably laugh at myself, but it was hard <laughs> at the time. It was like this little Canyon road and it would take me a while to get out there. And then I'd walk out, walk down the Canyon off the other side, walk down and then back to the other side. And it was great. And so that combined with eating right and, um, do it, taking this medication that they had me on for, uh, managing my blood sugar levels. Like right away, I started losing weight and I started losing weight pretty quickly, which like shocker, that's what happens when you stop treating your body like absolute garbage <laughs> and start giving a shit. So like, it was pretty awesome. And the thing that like, I was losing weight and we had a check-in at three months, um, after my diagnosis and my blood sugar levels were still elevated, even though I was losing weight. And I was like, okay, like what's happening here. And like the, the last bucket of the four that I hadn't really done much to address was my stress. And I was fortunate that I was working at an agency where there's like different accounts that I could kind of bounce around to. So I tried to reduce my workload. I stopped traveling. Um, I was, I was like living at the NBC offices three days a week up in LA and commuting from San Diego. Um, and so I like, I stopped doing that. I tried to get off uh, the accounts that were causing me like wicked amounts of stress. But when you're leading it, you can't just be like, okay, bye. See you later. (laughs) Put me on something new. There's still like a transition period. And like, I just couldn't get my stress. Like I I didn't have the tools, um, to get it wrapped up and, and figured out. So I left my corporate job where I was making crazy awesome money and had insane benefits and unlimited time off and an incredible boss. Like the only thing that was killing me about that job was the stress of it on paper, everything else was perfect. Um, so that was a hard choice, but I joined my friend's startup, which if anybody's worked in a startup is not a stress reducer. Um, and I knew that, right? Like I didn't go in there totally blind. I knew what I signed up for. I signed up for a pay cut and a fancy title and a lot of stress apparently. Um, so I made it like, so I was chief marketing officer at the startup and my first job was to raise a million dollars. Like, have I done that? Absolutely not. Did I watch Shark Tank? You bet your buns I did. So like, I'm trying to get creative. Like I'm bringing my best ideas and all the stuff that I like was holding back in corporate. Cause I was like, someday I'm going to have my own thing and I'm going to give all my good ideas to that. Um, so I brought like my good ideas and my, and my happy attitude, but my blood sugar just like went through the roof again. Like it was getting to a place that was pretty good. 
um, in the like time between when I quit the agency and when I started the new job, like that week or week and a half was just like money. I was like, oh, I did it. That was the, that was the trick. And it was because like the second I started working and I was in this like borderline toxic work environment, the stress went right back up and so did my blood sugar levels. So now I have this like data set and I'm like this scientist where every morning I can prick my finger. And if my blood sugar is higher than it should be, I have this quadrant where I'm like, okay, what did I eat? Did I move my body yesterday? Am I taking my meds on time as prescribed? And how's my stress? And so like, I could just kind of like check in with myself all the time. And so when the stress of the new job wasn't working out, I was like, okay, you know, what does help me feel better walking in nature, like that backpacking trip that I took in 2016, even though it was the hardest thing I've ever done, I came home and had massive clarity after that. So I was like, okay, we had this big order that we were getting ready to ship out for the startup. And I was like, okay, I'm going to book a walk across the Island. The second that that order ships, because like, yeah, I'm 90 days into this job, but also I'm about to kill somebody. So it's in everybody's best interest. This person goes and has a little nature walk. Um, so I figured I was like, okay, that either we're going to get the shipment out the door. I'll go take a walk. I'll come back refreshed, And I won't be like on the leading edge of killing my business partner, or I will not even make it to that point. Like, cause the stress was just unreal. I was working like 20 hour days. I would wake up and have a panic attack. I'd have a panic attack at work. Um, so like, and these aren't just like the, oh my God, I'm kind of nervous things. This is like the ones that take you all the way out for anybody that's ever had a panic attack or an anxiety attack where you are just completely wiped. There was a two or three week period where I was having those at least once a day, if not twice a day. Oh, wow. And I could not continue to live like that. So I quit my startup job without a backup plan. Now I am a newly diagnosed diabetic without any health insurance and uh, no savings to speak of because as soon as I got out of skydiving and started making real money again, I spent every dollar that I made because I was like, I'm making up for last time. I got paid peanuts when I'm jumping and now I'm a baller. <laughs> so like lifestyle went straight up with a three times salary increase. Like it was just nuts. Like I, I did not prepare myself for this kind of transition at all. But because I was a big corporate spender, I had tons of available credit. So I was like, okay, worst case scenario, I've got a runway that's about six to 12 months long to when I would need to start, like when I would run out of the money we actually have in our bank account versus the credit I have available and what my minimum payments would be. So like, I'm just going to trust that I'll figure something out. Maybe it's another job. Maybe I get hit by lightning. Like, I don't know, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm giving myself this much time. So I do that. And I just completely went off the rails. We were asking if I doubled down on behavior. So yeah, I doubled down and I created new ones. What else did that, Jeremy? <laughs> I was like, I could just keep going or maybe he wants to talk. I don't know. No, no, that's, that's so interesting. And, and, uh, like you said, kind of the perspective from it, I mean, you know, you, you, you try to fix it with one thing and then that work and then like, well, I still got to fix it. And then kind of like, okay, bye. See ya. I'm going to figure yeah. this out another way without necessarily a, a, a safety net at the time. So, um, you know, that's, that's really interesting to kind of hear too, because, you know, some people handle those situations differently. You know, they look at, you know, the on paper, how everything looks good, but then, you know, they don't actually take into account what that's doing to their health or personal life or whatever comes along with that, with the stress aspect. And yes. then having kind of the, uh, the guts almost in a way to, to under, uh, you know, realize that from a personal standpoint and then making the change that needed to happen to do that is too. Cause 
I'm sure there's are tons of people that probably even recognize that same situation, but are afraid to make that move because of X, Y, Z. So no, that's, that's great. So, so you, you, so you did that, you tried the startup that didn't work. Uh, and then, and then you kind of took the, uh, the, the plunge, if you will. So, so I guess what, what, as, as we're keeping this story rolling, uh, what, what <laughs> happened after the plunge? Well, so I had that backpacking trip booked. So now I've quit my job as I kind of forecasted I would. Um, and now I have two weeks until this trip starts. And so like I had been hiking a lot at that point, I lost like probably like 40, 50 pounds is my diagnosis. I'm feeling good. Like life is grand. I swear the second I quit the job, blood sugar levels within the next week were like stabilized. And I was like, <laughs> this stress thing is no joke. And that's the thing. Like, it sounds like so like, I feel like it should have been harder and, and maybe harder. Isn't the right word. It is delightfully simple. Like nothing about diabetes management is easy. Like you can't quit food, right? Like as yeah. much as you can, you can clean it up. You can try all kinds of diets and all kinds of different nutrition plans and whatever. But like, at the end of the day, you need food to survive. You cannot quit food. So it's a really tricky thing to navigate and it's delightfully simple, but it's definitely not easy. So I quit my job. I have two weeks to train for this backpacking trip. So I'm going on this day hike and we're going out to Stonewall peak and it's this mountain east of San Diego in the mountains. Um, and I get to the top and I chose this hike because it was supposed to have 360 degree views of San Diego County. And I was like, this is what I need. I need to see how big the world is so I can feel small in it and just kind of like find my place kind of deal. I get up to the top and it's socked in, not a view to be had except for clouds. Like I can barely see five feet in front of me. And I was like, this is some bullshit. Like I am angry, but I get up there and I'm thankful for the clouds now. And this is, this is a metaphor that has changed my life for forever. If the views were available, I might not have had the idea of hiking my feelings. So I'm up there. It's cloudy. There's no views. There's like they're in their service on the top of this mountain. I was like, I'm going to go live. I'm going to be outdoorsy on a Wednesday. Like other people are working. I got this great life now where I'm unemployed and like <laughs> really uncertain of my future, but I can make it look really happy. And so I was like, I had this big plan. I was like, oh my God, people are going to love it. I'm going to love it. I'm going to feel great. And then I get up there and I can't do it. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, well, in the absence of these great views, like I started thinking about my life and how, like how great I felt on the top of this mountain. Like it was a pretty hard hike. It was a, you know, it was a quick, quick gain. It was a short one, but you go up pretty far and pretty fast. And I was like, okay, like, I feel like all the way in my body, my lungs are pumping. My legs feel great. Like I'm ready for this backpacking trip. And I was like, but wait a minute. Like if I look at what's happened over the last three to five months, like I should be freaking out. Like I quit two jobs in the span of five months, went from like a six figure salary to a zero figure salary. And it's not like my husband's like rolling in it. He was working part-time at the time. And again, we are not trust fund babies. We don't have any savings. Like, and then like my decisions start to kind of catch up with me. And I was like, so why am I not freaking out? Like I've got a list a mile long why I should be. And I was like, oh, well, damn, diabetes is like, it was doubly good for me. Like it, it led to all these changes. And I'm sure that this will make sense in a little bit. I don't know what I'm doing next, but I'm sure it'll come. But like in times of stress or sadness or hell, even celebration before diabetes, my first go-to was like, grab a drink, get something to eat. Right. Like if I was sad, I drink a bottle. Like when I, right before my diagnosis, like I was drinking a bottle of wine to myself 
almost every night after work just to like fall asleep and just turn off my brain after a long day. Or I would have a pint of Ben and Jerry's for breakfast in the morning because I that felt better than like feeling my feelings. So diabetes took that away, but what it replaced it with, I was like, so instead of eating and drinking my feelings, I've been hiking my feelings. Cause when I go feel fussy about what's going on with diabetes, I go for a hike. When I feel anxious about what we're doing at work at the time, like we would go have walking meetings and it wasn't like hiking, hiking, but we go take a lap around the apartment building. Um, cause we were working out of my friend's apartment at the startup and like, I've been hiking my feelings instead of eating and drinking them. And at first I was like, oh, wow. Like that's a pretty pretty snazzy replacement for coping mechanisms. But then I was like, this is like my marketing brain turns on and I'm like, okay, I got service. I'm not going to do a live up here because there's no views and nobody will be impressed. But like, I could look up and see if Instagram has hiking my feelings as a handle. And they did. And I checked in the hashtag had never been used. I was like, okay. And then I checked the URL was available. So I bought it. And I was like, okay, so hiking my feelings. I don't know what this is yet, but now I own it digitally. Because <laughs> um, this feels like something huge. Like if anybody's ever had, if like, if you haven't experienced this yet, I hope you have the joy of this process where like, it feels like the universe just takes a two by four and smacks you across the face with it, but it doesn't hurt. It feels brilliant. And you feel enlightened and like you have purpose and like everything you've ever survived or everything terrible that's ever happened to you and all the great things that you've celebrated in your life. Like now they finally make sense. That's what that moment was for me on the top of that mountain. Like, I don't know where this is going, but this is the most hopeful I have felt in forever. So now I have this like container. I'm like, oh, what is hiking my feelings? I'm a writer. So naturally I'm going to write about this. And so I write about the hike and I write about this experience and like what hiking my feelings is. And so I was journaling before we went on this backpacking trip and I was like, okay, universe, God, unicorns, whatever you believe in. I don't know what's out there for me, but I'm open to it. Like the first time I did this hike, I fell in love with a body I didn't recognize. I had always been athletic. Then all my friends died. Then my coping mechanisms were garbage. And then I gained a lot of weight and I didn't recognize that body, but I loved it anyway, because it carried me almost all the way across the island. Now this time the hiking, I've been crushing it. The job, I don't have to worry about it. Like what would be possible if on this next backpacking trip, the hike itself wasn't the hard part. Like what kind of experience could I have on this Island? And that's where everything just got buck wild. Like I poured out my soul and wrote in my journal, like I was going to die on this trip. I was like, it's in my book. <laughs> like I, I literally, like I transcribed journal entries that are like so over the top into my book. And I was like, if I die, just make sure you tell mine and Barry's love story and spread my ashes in all the places that we haven't been yet. And it was just like so extra. And I was like, okay, I'm ready. Like I am all the way open. What does this trail have in store for me? And so that was where I connected the dots between like second question. So like, I was like, what would be possible if the hike itself wasn't the hard part? Also like, what is the reason or what was the event or what is the root cause of why I was eating and drinking my feelings to begin with. Because like, as much as that's socially acceptable, we teach young girls like, oh my God, you got a broken up with, oh, go get a pint of ice cream, honey. It'll be fine. Like we teach people to cope with food. We celebrate with drinks, like liquor and alcohol in America is a lifestyle. <laughs> like it is a whole thing. And so I was like, okay, that's nice. Like I, I understood where I picked it up from, but like, what was the impetus that started this? And so that's where things got wild on the island. I was like, okay, 
why was I eating and drinking my feelings to begin with? And then the universe is like, you ready for another two by four? Brace yourself. <laughs> and I connected the dots between trauma I experienced in college. I was sexually assaulted and I never told anybody for 11 years. And my husband was the first person I told. And that was after we had been together for seven years and we had been married for five at that point. Wow. And I was, I convinced myself that I, I must've screwed something up because like, uh, I, I know I definitely didn't want it, but like girls like me don't get raped. Like I, I, I don't know what this means for me. So like, I just denied it. I stuffed it down and I swore I'd die with that story. Um, until like one day in 2017, this was before my diabetes diagnosis, we were watching the bachelor. Don't judge me. Um, and all the girls are sitting on the couch in this one chick. I don't remember which one it was. But she said, she said something the way I used to dance around this story. Like something happened to her. She was ashamed about it. She never talked about it. She didn't outrightly say she was assaulted in that episode, but I knew what she was doing. And my husband paused the episode and he was like, listen, if there's anything like that in your, in your history that you want to share with me, like, just know I got you no judgment. I love you. I can take it. And I wasn't ready to talk about it then. Cause I was just like, Oh God, like he just, I just got called to the carpet to tell the one story that I've never told anybody. And I'm a storyteller by trade. Um, okay. So like two weeks later, I was like, Hey, remember that show when we were watching the bachelorette, I have a story I want to tell you. And I told him we cried. It was wonderful. It was lovely. I love him so much, but I hadn't ever done anything with that. Like I had said, this happened to me and I admitted it to the first person after 11 years after it happened. And now I'm on this trail and I'm like, Oh, well, when I didn't go to the hospital, when I didn't get help, when I didn't tell my parents, when I didn't tell anybody, when I stuffed it down with booze to help me fall asleep and avoid flashbacks and ice cream to make me feel better about myself in the morning. Yeah, that's where the behaviors came from. Like, that's what led me to eating and drinking my feelings because I knew that I couldn't tell anybody because I was absolutely terrified of what would happen if I did. And turns out, good thing I told my husband, because if I didn't, I wouldn't be on the road I'm on now. But also good thing I didn't tell my parents because I told my dad in 2018. So this is after this big hike, I connect the dots. I'm like going across Catalina Island off the coast of Los Angeles, California. And I'm like strutting my stuff on this trail. I'm like, I know why I used to be awful. Oh my God, it's trauma. Hey. And so like, everything was cool. Not really at all. Like I just I opened Pandora's box of like all my pain, but I was like, I got tools now. It's fine. I hike. This is how I move through things. And so I go on a trip with my dad and I tell him my story for the first time. So my dad's also a writer. I was like, yo, I wrote about it on the plane right over here for the first time ever, like trying to think like, maybe this is how my dad and I can connect. And he looked at me after I told him about my assault and he said, your story is bullshit. You better come up with a new one before you get home because nobody's buying the one you're telling. And in that moment, I knew, even though it delayed my healing and caused a lot of pain in the interim and stuff that I'm still working through today, if I had told my dad my story after it happened and that was his reaction, Jeremy, I would not be giving this podcast interview today because I would not be on this planet. So little Sydney in college knew she wasn't safe to tell anybody. And she found the person who was safe enough to tell, and that's my husband. And he has been by my side and has had my back every day that we've been together, but especially since then moving through into this new chapter, which is now running a nonprofit, selling everything we own. That's the other thing I got off that Island. And I was like, so this house is too big and we have way too much stuff. 
mind you, we have like a less than 1000 square foot bungalow in San Diego. It's not big. We don't have a lot of stuff, but after walking across an Island with everything I need on my back, I was like, yeah, I can't do this anymore. And so I was like, I want to sell everything we own and move into a van. This is 2018. My husband's like, what? He's like, what do you even mean? And I like put on some videos on YouTube and he was like, oh, okay. Like we were, we were actually going to do tiny house stuff like back in 2014. And we like, didn't raise the money in time. We were like actually cast on a tiny house TV show. So we've been like, we've been thinking about the downsizing thing for forever. We're skydivers. Like we travel with what we can fit in our car. Like it's really, we've never, ever had a lot of stuff, but on that trip, I was like, that's it. It's van lifetime. So we sold everything we own everything except for what we could fit in a van. And we had exactly enough cash to buy the van and our first tank of gas. And I was like, this is a new life. I have no fucking idea how we're going to pay for anything (laughs) moving forward. Hashtag credit cards, hashtag privilege, but also like, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm just going to roll with it because newsflash, nobody knows what they're doing. (laughs) We're all faking it till we figure it out or feel some kind of like okayness with what we're doing in our lives. Like nobody knows what they're doing. That is like the biggest breath of fresh air I can offer anybody that's listening. <laughs> your yeah, your story. Yeah. Keeps, keeps going. Okay. So first of all, I want to say, I'm, I'm sorry uh, to hear about that uh, experience that you had, but I'm, I'm glad that you were able to, like you said, f- eventually find the right person that was the right set of ears, if you will. Um, and it yes. sounds like you and your husband are an awesome team. Um, but to finally let that out. And, and like you said, it sounds like it was at the exact right time. Yep. And it, and it was really interesting hearing you kind of, you know, bringing that whole, you know, journey from college through work, through, uh, diabetes, through everything like that. And, and then kind of, you had that epiphany at the top of this really gloomy mountain that day. <laughs> uh, and then it just all kind of came full circle to be able to tie it together and, so, and that's, that was really interesting too, to hear. I'm, I'm just kind of thinking about this thing. You know, I've obviously, I've had other people, um, on, on this podcast, talk about hiking through hiking, you know, different activities like that. But I, I don't recall a time that, uh, I guess the use of hiking kind of came around full circle in this sense, um, yeah. which I think is really powerful, you know? to kind of, yeah. to, to realize, like, like you said, a coping mechanism, but it's a healthy one rather than eating or drinking or, you know, whatever else is out there. Uh, that's, that's, I mean, that's really awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I, and, and that's really like, so after Catalina, like I got off the Island and I was like, okay, what just happened? Um, I need to write this down immediately. And also if there's any ch- chance in hell that what I just experienced can help somebody else, that's my new mission. So I reached out to the Catalina Island Conservancy who manages um, 88% of Catalina Island is conservancy land. Um, so they maintain the trails and, and do all the research and um, conservation out there. And I was like, hey, unless you're trying to keep this trail a secret, like we need to have a conversation because <laughs> I've been on this trail twice. It's changed my life and my mindset twice. Like I, I want to tell everybody and their mother about this trail. I, you don't have any trail ambassadors. Is there anything I can do to help get the word out? And they were like, actually, yes. And so they introduced me to the head of outdoor programming at um, REI in Southern California. And um, this gal, Rachel, who like, if Rachel ever hears this, I hope she like does. And I can just say thank you for sending me on this like insane journey. That's just been so awesome. Um, 
REI sells a Transcatalina trail adventure. So if you want to go out there, but you don't want to do it all yourself, they can help you out. And so they needed somebody to speak to why this trail is so awesome. And so I go and I tell my story and all this stuff. And like, there's a whole bunch more that just doesn't fit in a podcast interview. Um, and so I told them and they were like, cool. Um, we'd like to send you on a speaking tour around our Southern California stores. What do you need for audio visual? And I was like, I literally got off the Island like 11 days ago. <laughs> like, I don't have a presentation. Like I'm just spitballing stories like we're doing here. And I was like, uh, I mean, like if it's a technical trail review, give me a map and I'll show them the elevation game. But if it's like my story, then I've got like some really great pictures from the Island and like the pivotal moments that I had and like, oh yeah, no, nobody's going to show up. If you do a technical trail review, they can read that on the internet. But like, what people want is to hear the story of like how this trail impacted your life. And I was like, well, I can do that. And they're like, yes, you can. And they're, and I was like, so that you want that story. They're like, yeah. I was like, even like, even the rapey bits. And they were like, yeah, like if you're comfortable telling it, it's a really powerful story, Sydney, we'd love to have you tell it. And so I did. So it started in Southern California at the end of 2018, we did three dates and I was like, okay, if I'm going to go tell you that hiking helped me heal my mind and body, I'm going to need you to go on a hike with me. So then I would do a talk on Friday night, host a hike on Saturday morning. And we did three of those. And after the first one, I was like, if I did this for the rest of my life, that would be so dope. I wasn't getting paid. Oh yeah. I was like, yeah, we don't have budget for this. I was like, you make billions of dollars a year. You can't pay your speakers. Okay, fine. But so I was like, whatever, it's cool. I'm, I'm in the business of working for free this year. So I did that and I built a speaking tour by myself with my husband from the ground up. And we spoke it, uh, in 2019, we hosted 140 events around the U S wow. a combination of speaking and storytelling, like speaking tour stops, me telling my story and then group hikes. And so it was legendary and I loved it. We went all the way around the U S and it was absolutely the dopest thing ever. I wrote a book while I was on the road that year. I published it at the end of 2019. And then we were getting ready for my book tour. I was on the first weekend of my book tour, March, 2020. And then guess what? Yeah. COVID. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, we just filed as a business. Like we're actually going to do this, not just credit cards. I want it to be a nonprofit. So let's like file for that too. So I'm selling books. I got a trunk full of them. I'm ready to just like, I'm indie girl. I like, I self-publish. I'm creating my own tour, but I gr laid the groundwork in 2019. And now 2020 is going to be excellent. We're going through the U S and Canada and I'm slinging books and I'm slinging hope and I'm taking people hiking. Life is going to be great. And then the pandemic happened and book sales tanked because Amazon is like, I'd rather sell sanitizer than print your books. Um, and everything just sucked for forever. It felt like I did like a two week fetal position in the van um, where I just cried indefinitely every day and wrote down all the scary thoughts that were going through my head. And we, I mean, cause we had to figure out like we are in the business of getting people off their devices and into the outdoors to find healing in nature. What do you do when all the national forests are closed? <laughs> what yeah. do you do when nobody's allowed to be in groups? I was like, we got to figure something out fast. So I took all the uh, workshops that we planned to do um, on the road in 2020 and turned it into a 12 week online course. Um, we had a retreat. That was the first thing that was, that got one of the first things that got postponed in 2020 um, was our hike and heal retreat on Catalina Island, where we're hiking with people on the section where I had my breakthrough. And I'm like, it's two years in the making at this point. We've got Kaleo Wassman, who's the lead singer of Pepper, his wife, Melanie, who does yoga and Reiki, Sydney and Barry bringing the hiking and the healing. And it was just going to be this like epic smorgasbord of awesome on the island. And it got canceled. And I was like, okay, this sucks. So we postponed it to September. That got canceled. I managed to get like a couple backpacking trips in last year. But when we got done with it, I was like, 
okay, we need something big and splashy and something that I care a lot about that I can rally behind for like a year. I just want one thing to focus on because we've kind of been all over the place. So it's like, oh, mind-body connection. Oh, type 2 diabetes management. Oh, support for survivors. Like all the things that were me. And I wasn't confident enough in myself and what hiking my feelings was at the time in 2019 or even going into this year. Um, and I thought I had to get like really specific with it. And so I was like, okay, hiking helps me manage diabetes. Let's do a campaign around diabetes awareness. And we're going to hike a million miles for diabetes in 2021. And so we did like a test campaign in uh, November last year for diabetes awareness month. It was dope. Everybody crushed it. I had a great time. So I'm like, you know what happens when you do things good for a month, you commit to an entire year of it without any idea of how you're going to pay for it or execute it. Cause that's how Sydney Williams rolled. So we did that. And we like last week we got home from the take a hike diabetes tour. So this year we are on a mission to hike a million miles for diabetes. Well, in general, hiking my feelings is on a mission to hike a million miles for diabetes awareness as a community. We're at like 36,000 miles. So like, we're not going to get there this year and that's fine. I, I would need like Kelly Clarkson to have me on her show in order to get to a million miles <laughs> this year. Um, so Kelly, if you're listening, hit me up. Yeah. Um, but that being said, we hiked 200 miles around Chicago for diabetes awareness and it was magnificent. And the whole idea was let's go someplace. So we did a 200 mile loop around Chicago. And then we did, we hiked across the entire state of Michigan, my husband and I did. Wow. And the thought was, these are trails that aren't remote. Like the trail around Chicago, you can get to it by the bus, by the L train. You can walk to it. Like it's, it's accessible. Um, and hiking across Michigan was like, it's a, it's a rail to trail trail. It's called the great Lake to Lake trail. And it's route number one. They have five routes planned. Route one is the first one to get done. And that goes from South Haven to Port Huron. And so that's the trail that we did in uh, Michigan. And that one, like you can take the Amtrak, you can take the bus to get to it. You can just pick it up in town and then walk as far as you want and go home. The idea was you don't have to go all the way out into the back country. You don't have to go to Yosemite. You don't have to go to the Appalachian mountains to go have these healing experiences in nature. You can find them in the cities where you work, live and play, which for people managing diabetes, specifically type two, who are living a more generally, this is a sweeping generalization. And I know that, and I say that, and it's non-judgmental, but in general, folks with type two are more on the sedentary side of lifestyle. And that's one of the reasons why they get it myself included. And so you don't have to be like some fit mountaineer to go hike these huge mountains. You can go, you can literally just like pull up the all trails app give it permission to use your location. And then it pulls up trails that are in your backyard for crying out loud. So like, it's so easy to get out. And so that's what we did this year. Um, we just got home from our tour. We hiked all around the U S I've hiked almost a thousand miles myself this year. Um, and it's just been totally awesome. And what we found <laughs> like last weekend, when we got out of the grand Tetons, um, I was just like, Oh, so, I mean, like I tend to need like a really big momentous occasion to learn the lesson or also just keep learning it over and over and over again. And the lesson that I learned on the road this year and that I think can apply to everybody is this. And I've said these words before. I've even taught them in a course, but there's a difference between having the language and having the understanding and the language that I had and the understanding I have since gained is very simple. And it's that I liken my mind to a river. And the thoughts that flow through it are people on rafts. Now, when I'm good and I'm centered, it feels like a lazy river. Like 
And when I'm on the lazy river, I know that I'm awesome at my job. I know that my body is a wondrous machine that works very hard for me day in and day out to keep me alive and take me on excellent adventures. And I know that I'm like an awesome person. Like I'm kind, I'm funny. I got things going on. Like I am a nice person. I'm a good friend. I'm a great listener and I'm an excellent facilitator. I know all this to be true when I'm on the lazy river. Historically in my life, There have been times more often than not in some chapters where there's like frat bros on dick shaped inflatables (laughs) screaming absurdities at full volume. And they're like crushing white claws. And I'm like, I got to get off this ride. Like I cannot deal. And so those are like my intrusive thoughts. And what used to happen was I would see those and I'd be like, oh my God, this intrusive thought that I'm fat or that I'm ugly or that I'm bad at my job or that I'm worthless and I shouldn't be doing this work and I should go get my job back immediately and beg for half the salary. That was something my dad said I should do. Real, real classy guy that guy is. So I was like, all these fears, like these things that I think are true about myself, when they would come in, I'd be like, oh, oh, I hear you. Well, let me prove you wrong. Random thought that means absolutely nothing unless I decide (laughs) it does. And I would chase it. And sometimes it would be for years. Like I would chase these thoughts for years with no awareness that I could just let them go or that, hey, you aren't your thoughts. Like you can just be a lazy river and watch them float on by. And that was what I learned in the Tetons. That's what I learned after my big round trip this year was like, I don't have to chase these thoughts. And when I'm good, they don't occur. So now if they do occur, those are clues. It's just data. Like if I have some like wiggly thought go through my brain, I'm like, all right, where am I neglecting myself? Like, do I need to eat better? Have I not been hiking? That hasn't been the case this year. I've hiked my butt off this year, (laughs) but like, do I need to spend more time with my husband? Like we live together 24 seven, but we're usually like side by side or in front of each other and behind each other on the trail. Like we don't have a lot of face-to-face times. So like, what are the areas of my life that are important to me? And are they getting the amount of attention they deserve? Because when they are, those thoughts don't exist. And I exist in a beautiful, serene, lazy river with the perfect breeze and just the amount of sunshine and like the perfect refreshing beverage. Like that's my life when I'm good. When I'm not, I'm like in the middle of the bros at their bachelor party, making the river a wave pool. And I'm just not interested. So turns out I don't have to chase those thoughts or rafts or bros on dicks. <laughs> well, first of all, I got to say, I love that analogy. Um, <laughs> all of it. it Cause I mean, it does, it does make sense. You know, I mean, you know, I have, you know, obviously we all have thoughts that come through our mind, you know, the, especially the negative ones. And, you know, especially actually I'll find them more come in, you know, if in the middle or not in the middle of the night, but as I'm trying to fall asleep or whatnot, and I'm like, oh, I'm, they're so sneaky. They are. And then, then you see, you, you, you kind of work yourself into the cycle and, and kind of go down this, this tunnel and this, this rabbit hole and chasing them. And then I just got like, remind myself like, okay, nope. We're like this, that does not matter right now. There's literally nothing you can do if it is something that needs to be done, I guess, in that case, but there's nothing you can do about it right now. Like just let it go. And, and, or if it's something that literally doesn't matter at all that I can't change kind of the same thing. So, uh, I definitely understand that analogy and I like the, I'm just next time I, I have some of those uh, thoughts sneak in, I'm going to try to imagine the lazy river, just lazy river. Man. And- well, and I think, and at the end of the day, like it comes down to, and like, I'm all about these like word swaps and reframes. So like in this case, what used to be judgment, I'm trying as often as I can. And this is by nowhere like steady state for me yet 
And I don't know if it ever will be. It's part of being human. You have the ebbs and flows, but like replacing judgment with curiosity. So like, yes, be aware oh. of the thoughts. Can I get to that lazy river? But like, I used to have those thoughts and I would judge myself for having them and then want to go prove them to be wrong. Like it was like some like boxer in a ring. I'd be like, <laughs> no, stop shit talking. I'm going to prove you wrong. And also, man, I'm a real dick for talking to myself like that. So now I'm just like, now, like if one of these thoughts, like I'm probably going to get off this podcast and worry that I said something stupid. And when that happens, I'm going to be like, Hey, like what's actually going on here? Like if I'm feeling like case in point, we've been on the road for six months. We just got home for the last however many days I have been eating everything in sight. And I used to judge myself for that, especially in light of living with diabetes. Should I be doing that? Definitely not. Like, I don't want to make a habit out of it. But also I was thinking to myself, I was like, okay, you're eating everything in sight. Is it possible that maybe you're bored because you've been in motion for the last six months? Yeah. Cut yourself some slack. What are you actually hungry for, Sydney? Are you hungry for the third pack of frozen bananas dipped in chocolate? (laughs) (laughs) That's a real thing. Or are you hungry for like love and comfort? And this is how you used to find that. And you're finding yourself back in that pattern because it's familiar and easy. Like curiosity about these things and the choices, because when judgment goes away and curiosity comes in, all that's left are choices. And when we stop assigning bad and good and right and wrong to these choices where there doesn't need to be a value assigned, like if we're talking about murder, yeah, murder is bad. Okay. Like babies, great. Like (laughs) those are good things, but like where the judgment goes away and the curiosity comes in, all we have left are choices. And we can always, always, always choose differently. And we don't have to choose better. We don't have to choose worse. We can just make different choices. No, I, I, no, I love that. That makes complete sense. Um, kind of there's that, that, that reframing almost of the, of the and rewiring of the brain of the brain, um, yeah. to, to, you know, figure out, okay, I'm doing this because of why. Um, so it, so it sounds like, you know, obviously since, since, you know, that, that time on the mountain and whatnot, you know, you, you kind of, kind of transformed everything, started kind of connecting more dots, you know, at a personal level, and then you found a platform to share your story, um, and, and inspire others as well that might be going through similar or different things. What, I guess, what does, what does that journey look like with, with people that you've interacted with, you know, through hiking my feelings and like, what are some of the, you know, I guess maybe stories or the impact or stuff that, you know, that you've been or feedback that you've, uh, you know, heard from, you know, people that are involved with it. So a couple things. Um, I think the most in the interest of time, cause there's like a lot of great stories. I think of these, I've got two, one, um, this woman, Michelle, she reached out to us before our first retreat when it was supposed to happen last year. And she said, I'm a victim of sexual violence, da, 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 da. Like I self-identified as a victim wants to like get on, get, get healing. Like she's ready. She's ready to do the work. Um, she was going to go to the retreat and the retreat got postponed, but she signed up for our program. The one that we created out of all of our workshops, which is called blaze your own travel self-love. Um, we run that at the beginning, like 12 weeks of the year. So keep an eye out for that in 2022, but she went through the program. Um, she signed up for our aftercare program, which is called the summit circle. Then she came to the retreat this March. And 
as she, I'm going to lose it. Um, so I'm standing at the top, like the highest point on Catalina Island, waiting for a group to like walk up. Cause our group got really spread out. We had a bunch of different people with a lot of different paces. And so I was just kind of up there chilling, taking in the moment, standing up there with my book, which was not a thing the last time I stood at that summit and that she comes walking up the thing. And so she was, she was a sexual assault survivor. She had, um, ovarian or ovarian cancer or cervical, I think cervical cancer. Um, and she was like, if I can be cancer, I can do this. And she comes plowing up this mountain, just like <laughs> terminator style, just looks like a total boss. And throughout the course of the programs that she did with us and this retreat, when she talked about her trauma, she said, I'm a survivor of sexual assault and cervical cancer and a survivor of both, not a victim of either. And I think when it, like, that was a really nice reflection for me because I think what, what our work and what my work and what our organization is all about is ultimately like, you can be the victim in, in the case using sexual assault as an example, um, you can be the victim of a crime, but you don't have to live in a victim mindset. And there's a really, like, there's some toxic stuff out there about moving from victim to survivor. Um, and like, how you just have to make a choice and anybody that gaslights anybody into thinking that they need to speed up their journey is not in the business of healing. They're in the business of taking your money. It takes as long as it takes. It took me 11 years to even say the words out loud. Um, so to have somebody come to us, identify as a victim and then exit our programs, self-identifying as a survivor really spoke to the power of what we're doing in the world of trauma recovery. And then from a diabetes perspective, this guy, Kevin, um, he's like 52. He lives in Northern California, loves fly fishing, has type two diabetes, has some knee issues and has been putting off this backpacking trip for like three or four years. And he just keeps putting it off, keeps putting it off because he's not physically ready and he's not doing anything to get physically ready. Like life gets in the way, um, work gets in the way, whatever. So this year, um, every Monday, my husband hosts a safety and training and planning meeting for people that are in our community that are looking to go do hikes or backpacking trips and like helps them figure out how to progress through it safely. And so Kevin's been to every meeting all year long. And I don't know how many miles he hiked last year, but this year he's hiked over 600 miles. He has done three or four just monster backpacking trips through the uh, Sierras, through the Yosemite backcountry, just like some epic adventures that he like he wanted to do the one that he's been putting off and he's done three or four this year alone. Um, and so we had an intro call. We were inviting some of the members um, or some of the folks that are coming to our retreat coming up in October to join this meeting so they can get up to speed with safety and training. And uh, they were like, so what do we do at these meetings? And my husband was like, Hey, Kevin, tell him what we do at these meetings. And he told them everything that he's gotten out of it. And I was just like, and that's what we do. Like, sometimes you're so close to something, especially when it's such deeply personal work. Like we have tips and tools and workshops and worksheets and resources and stuff. But until you hear it from the people that you've impacted, it's kind of hard to describe what you do. Like I could say, we help people do X, Y, Z, but to hear it come out of their mouth and know that like our intention is being received as such and making such big differences in people's lives. Like that's what gets me up in the morning on the days that are hard is just knowing that even if it's only one or two people at a time, um, the impact we're making is so, so great. And it just feels really good to be able to do this work. Yeah, no, that's amazing to, like you said, to kind of hear, hear that impact that you are actually making, especially when, you know, they end up becoming big advocates for 
for the organization in itself, um, you know, yeah. through that, you know, no matter what, you know, what, no matter what, you know, they're going through at a personal level. Um, yeah. so that's amazing. And, and obviously, you know, your, your story and your openness to your story, obviously, you know, I, I've just been kind of sitting here and taking it all in and like, you know, following it all. And it, it's, you know, it's pretty, pretty inc- incredible and, uh, and inspiring in its own sense. So I definitely see how that connection is made to, to others and, and the participants and whatnot is it, so I guess, and, and we've kind of talked a lot about, you know, leading up to it and, and, you know, some of the different retreats and the initiatives and stuff that you have going on. Is there anything else about um, hiking my feelings that, you know, others should, should know about? I think the biggest thing is that we, like, I think, I think I gotten zeroed in on how I want to articulate what we do when I was getting the website together for our retreat. Like, this is how my marketing brain works. I'm like, I need to see it visually before I believe it. So like, I'll build a website, I'll write the copy. And I'm like, and that's the event I'm throwing. It's not like I come (laughs) with like an event brief and then build a website to sell the event. Like it's all like, everything's just so integrated. It has been, I guess it's being a product of the digital generation. Like we grew up with AOL chat rooms. We ushered in Facebook. Like I've had this as part of my life since like I got through high school and then the internet turned on. Right. So like I, I got to get through like the, the dopiest years of my life without it being documented on the internet, but everything else has been documented. Um, so I think the, the, the thing that we do is we're not teaching you how to heal. We're creating a space and providing resources that make healing possible. And I think when I think about healers outside, like there's physicians and medically board certified people and folks with letters after their name, but I don't. And I, and for a while, for the, for the first two or two, almost three years of this business, I held myself hostage because I didn't trust that I could offer as much value because I didn't have a le- any letters after my name. I was supposed to go to med school, but then I got assaulted and I failed chemistry 101. And I figured if I'm too stupid to get through chem 101, Who am I to think that I could go on and be a surgeon and save lives? Turns out when you don't talk about your trauma, it distracts you from your studies and your grades tank. I wasn't ever stupid. I just wasn't dealing with the trauma. And so I think to create, to be able to create a space where healing is possible and not telling people how to heal. I'm not prescribing anything. I'm sharing all of the hard work I've done to get to where I am and making those resources as readily available as I possibly can. And that's why we started it as a nonprofit. Like the program that I run, I could charge. I have seen programs with way less into it, charging $15,000 to work with a coach or something like that to do the kind of work we do. And like the first year we sold it for 99, the second year we sold it for 250. And now we're going to, I don't know what it's going to be for this upcoming year, but it's probably going to be more than that. But we offer scholarships for everything we do. So if it's not free and you want to participate, we have a scholarship for it. That's the beauty of having a nonprofit and the beauty of being able to get grants and stuff like that is we can make what I think is like the most foundational part of healing accessible to as many people as possible. Cause I didn't have access to therapy. Like I, when I did have access, I was scared of it because I, I didn't want to be broken. And I didn't, I, I didn't need somebody to tell me that I was because I already knew that I was, of course I was broken. I was a mess. And when I needed it and I could afford it, or when I needed it and I was ready for it, I couldn't afford it. So now that I started therapy earlier this year and 
I was talking to my therapist. I was like, well, I don't think that I'm qualified to have these conversations with people because I don't have letters after my name. And she's like, Sydney, you are like pre-therapy. If you get people comfortable enough telling their story to people that they've never met before in a social setting in the wilderness, then therapy is not so scary because once they get comfortable owning their story and who they are, then they can start to heal from the things that happened to them. And I was like, okay, Elizabeth, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Way to reassure your girl. But like, but I think, so for anybody that's listening, like if you have been through some stuff and you're like ready to think about like what it might be to heal from that, or even if you haven't, but you just feel like distraught in your existence, like sign up for one of our courses, listen to our podcast. If you want to get in on the free stuff, read my book. That's a great entry level way. Cause like my book serves as the backbone for everything that we do. And it starts with just like radical responsibility for what happened to you. Like I am the victim of a crime. I am a survivor of sexual assault, but I am not just a survivor. Like I am a multifaceted, incredibly diverse, experienced human being with a lot to bring to the table. And I'm not just the worst day of my life. And so if anybody's feeling like just totally wrapped up in the shit that they've been through, come hang out with us for a little bit. Like if nothing else, you're going to have a good time and a great place to have a good time. We've got an awesome retreat coming up. <laughs> so like <laughs> the, the hike and heal retreat. And I've, I've mentioned this a couple of times, like the things that have been integral in my journey is journaling, um, body work. So like yoga, Reiki, learning about crystals and chakras and all the hippie stuff that we do out here in California and music. And so I was like, I want to create a retreat that combines all of those things. So it's me, my husband, Kaleo Wastman, who's the lead singer of a band called Pepper. It's like, um, it's kind of like SoCal reggae. It's not like okay. reggae, you think like, it's not like Jamaican reggae, but it's like American reggae, I guess. Um, and then a guy named K-Bong, who's the, he has his own band and his own career, um, but also is the keyboardist for a band called Stick Figure. And so they play music at night around the campfire. We hike during the day. We wake up, we do yoga. We have an excellent um, outfitter on the island who will haul all of our gear for us. So if you aren't ready to go backpacking, but you want to have an experience that's kind of like backpacking, this is the best intro of any of the offerings that are out there. And I'll say that not just because I created it, like legit if I could have had something like this before I did Catalina the first time, I would have been way more comfortable and way more prepared. So you can bring your own stuff if you want, and you can have the full backpacking experience. If, you, if you've got like a family tent and a sleeping bag, and you want to chuck that in your duffel bag, and then the, the outfitter will haul it for you. Or if you have nothing and you're traveling from out of state, you're like, all I want to bring is my clothes and my little hiking backpack and my water bottle that's fine too. We have comfort camping. So like, it's the bougiest thing ever. Like you get to the campsite and everything's already set up. All you got to do is just go waltz into your tent, which is like by the ocean, by the way. And then just like relax yourself to sleep. Like it's, it's so great. And I love it so much. And so that's October 14th through 17th. And we have a few spots left. Uh, Registration closes at the end of September or when we sell out, whatever happens first. And then um, if anybody's looking for something to do in November for diabetes awareness month, Um, everything we've been doing this year for take a hike diabetes for the campaign has been ramping up to set us up to do a single day annual event for the rest of time. So the first ever annual hiking, my feelings, take a hike diabetes day is on November 6th, which is the first Saturday of November. And November is also diabetes awareness month for anybody that's not familiar. And all you got to do is like sign up. You can register, um, 
We have this little app that's uh, tracking our distance as a community. You sign up, you pay 15, 35 or 50 bucks. That's a donation to our nonprofit that funds these kinds of programs and our scholarships for future events. Um, and you get like a cool water bottle, you get like a dope hat. And then we've got prizes from Solomon. Like they donate a pair of shoes every month. We got tents from UST. We got bags from Gossamer Gear. Like our sponsors came out in full force and they've been giving some awesome prizes for this initiative that we're doing this year. Um, and Take a Hike Diabetes Day is November 6th. And then the last thing that we're doing this year is our retreat series in Joshua Tree National Park. So if you've always wanted to go to Joshua Tree, you wanna do a little hike and heal and like have some hippie moments out in the uh, big rocks out in Joshua Tree, then you can check out our website for that. And that's hikingmyfeelings.org slash retreats. And we have one in November and December. And then I'm done. And then I go and I take a little nap <laughs> and I figure out how to do it all over again next year. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's awesome what well, sounds like uh there's some pretty pretty awesome uh trips uh between now and the end of the year uh yeah for just about everything and anyone so that that sounds awesome so where where can people um uh find you online to register look at your social too maybe they can't make it or not but you know they want to learn more about you know future events or or whatnot um you know where where, where can people find you so on social media, we're most active on Instagram and YouTube. We have a Facebook page, but it's mostly just like cross-posted from Insta. Um, so we're at Hiking My Feelings on Instagram and then Hiking My Feelings on YouTube as well. We put out new episodes every Tuesday. And we also have a show called The Virtual Campfire, which will be firing back up this fall. Um, and that's like our video show slash podcast. Um, and then... For retreats and stuff, hikingmyfeelings.org is our website. And if you go to hikingmyfeelings.org slash retreats, you can find um, the links to both Catalina and Joshua Tree. That's awesome. Well, everyone definitely make sure uh, you check them out, you know, whether that's a YouTube or a retreat or whatnot, uh, as, as you can tell from from our conversation, uh, you know, it's, it's some pretty inspiring stuff. And it sounds like it, uh, you know, if you haven't kind of opened yourself up to, you know, healing, if you will, and outdoors, you know, no matter what that may be that, you know, it's an excellent resource and some excellent opportunities to kind of, you know, uh, take that first step, if you will. So, uh, so yeah, definitely check them out. And, uh, Sydney, I appreciate you, you coming on and, and sharing all that story and background. Um, like I said, you know, it's always interesting, you know, when, when I have new guests on, you, you don't really fully know the full story, you know, just from, you know, doing a little bit, bit of research, but you never know what you might find. And I think that that was a really awesome story, you know, from skydiving to, you know, where you are now and everything in between. So I really appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I definitely, uh, wish you all the best of luck going forward in the next, the rest of the year. And then of course, you know, 2022 being, uh, I'm going to knock on wood, completely normal year, and yeah, you wouldn't know, that keep, be nice? keep growing, right? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Oh, it's just been so wonderful. And I appreciate the opportunity to share a little bit here. And if, uh, if anybody ever is listening now or later, whenever you hear this, if you have any questions, just find us on Instagram, send me a note on the website and I'm the one that replies to the emails. So you'll get me directly. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, everyone definitely make sure you check them out and, uh, thank you again, Sydney. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And hey, if you've made it this far and like what you've heard, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and let your friends know about life in motion. Until next time.